Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. I just want to do something. You know, sometimes when you say thank you, you got to do more than just say thank you. And so, uh, PL, don't go anywhere. I just tell you, I'm so thankful for this team. What a deep bench we have of great preachers in the place. And Pastor Lindsay, Pastor Chris, Pastor TK and Kristen, um, one of their favorite things is Amazon gift cards. So we just want to bless them and say thank you to you. Thank you to you. Thank you to you. Pastor Tristan, thank you so much. Pastor Chris, great word last week, Pastor Chris, by the way. Great. I don't think I've ever heard Pastor Chris better than last week. Have you? Very powerful. He gets, a, he gets on fire when he talks about those old Baptist days, doesn't he? Gets fired up talking about that. Anyway, um, it is exciting to be together, and um, uh, Pastor Kristen Kennedy is only a few weeks from delivery of new baby. So anyway, we are being extra careful in our bubble, and uh, so if, when I come out today, if I'm a masked man, please don't call me the Lone Ranger. I'm out there because we are guarding uh, our new baby about to be born in the next few weeks, uh, our new Grandbaby number five, for those of you that don't know us, that are just kind of new to us. Grandbaby number five, granddaughter number three. It's going to be awesome to meet her. And um, there's no, been no name announced yet, so we're waiting on that the next few weeks and get to meet beautiful baby Kennedy. Her brothers, her big brothers, two big brothers call her, they, they were trying to call it, whether they're going to call her Cutie or Cinderella, so they call her Cutierella. That's what the boys named their sister, Cutierella Kennedy. It sounds more like a wrestling name to me, but anyway. Anyway, we begin a brand new theme this month. I get, get the next few Sundays together, and I couldn't be happy. By the way, I didn't get a chance to find out, how did we do with July the 12th when I, was, when I pre-recorded it and was only on the screen? Once you adjusted, was it Okay. Because, you know, I'm getting older. And there may be times when I need to pre-record some stuff. Like when baby Kennedy is born in a few weeks, we have to, be, we have to take care of the boys. So for that week, I reserved the right. If, if that was cool with you, I didn't know how it was. It was weird for me to record it right after I preached on the 5th. I changed my clothes in the back and came right out and recorded that. But, it was, but I was in the flow already. And so it was just kind of an experiment, but I want to see how you did with it. And, um, you know, we're not a voting church, but we are a clapping church. So if you liked it, would you put your hands together and that's okay with you? All right. It just, it was, a, it was an anointing, it was in a moment, and we're just trying to use technology the best way that we can. And those of you at home, you didn't even know I was gone anyway. So anyway, uh, we begin a brand new theme this month called Tough as Nails. Some of you may have seen there's a brand new uh, reality show on CBS on Wednesday nights at 8, uh, which you uh, can watch right after our midweek service at 7.30 online. But anyway, it's called Tough as Nails. It's by the team that, that brought together my old, one of my old favorite shows, The Amazing Race. And this is about 12 hardworking, 
Americans that are from all walks of life and backgrounds, but they, they do hard manual labor jobs, farmers and fishermen and welders and people like that. They have 12 people and they compete in work-related challenges to see who's the toughest. And they're competing for $200,000 prize. And as I prepared, I was looking for a title to go. I, the Lord's been speaking to my heart about strength. And how do you stay strong in the midst of one of the toughest times you've ever been through in your life? How can you remain consistent, faithful, and not just barely, not just getting by, but actually strong? Romans chapter 5 tells us something about it. In chapter 5, verse 3, from the Passion Translation, Paul writes, but that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have joyful confidence. Love that. Say it again. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And I love that. And this hope, the hope we have in the gospel, the hope we have in Jesus is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And I love that. If you haven't memorized that verse or memorized that version of that verse, that's a great memory verse right there. I want to weave in Proverbs 4.20 from the NIV. says this, My son, Solomon writes to his, to his son who would be king, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they, the words of the Lord, are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Did you know the word can heal you? Did you know the word of God can protect you? Did you know the word of God can make something that should have destroyed you just pass by like a blip? For they are life, the word of God, the word, they are life to those who find them. That means you gotta look for them. And health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. When the word talks about guarding, in the New Testament, the Bible says, let the peace of God, let it guard your heart. And the word there is garrison. That means to assemble a, an army and station the troops at the doorposts of your heart. Because out of your heart, one translation says, will flow all the borders and boundaries of your life. Let's pray together one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart? Let your anointing destroy limitations and harnesses of bondage and lift off of your people the heaviest burdens to make us tough as nails in Jesus' name. Amen. This month we're going to talk about timeless principles that will help you to stand strong while at the same time moving forward through difficult times. It doesn't, it, sometimes that sounds antithetical, to stand but to move. To stand but to move. But that's primarily and precisely what's in my heart to describe this month. 
We're going to talk about words like resilience, tenacity, and perseverance. There's an old story I've referenced a few times over the 30 years of preaching because it's one of my favorites. In 1869, young Philadelphia attorney Russell Conwell traveled to the Middle East and India where his guide told him tall tales and legends and all these stories. And to some of them, he was almost half asleep, but this one changed his life. This guide on Camelback told the tale of a prosperous farmer named Ali Hafed who was contented with his large farm and big family until one day a, an Arabic priest stopped by with a testimony about diamonds he'd seen in a faraway place. He discovered in this distant land a diamond mine filled with wealth beyond belief. And the more he described it to Ali Hafed, Ali Hafed that night went to bed as a poor man. He woke up that morning content. He woke up that morning happy. He woke up that morning feeling blessed, feeling good. But when he heard what he didn't have and began to focus on it, a new restlessness and discontentment went into his soul. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So Ali Hafed, after that moment, became obsessed with what he did not have. He left his family. He left his farm and said to them, I'm going to come back and bring such wealth we can set our children upon thrones and kingdoms. And he left to chase his dream of diamonds and incomparable riches. He went through East Africa. He went to Europe. He went to Spain. No diamonds anywhere. Finally in Spain on a cliff, discouraged, broke, and broken, still obsessed with what he did not have and, the, and now the new bankruptcy of his own heart and life. He jumped from that cliff into the sea killed himself. As time went by, his farm was purchased by a new man. One day while watering his camel in a small stream on his property, the property that Ali Hafed had once owned, he spotted something shiny. It's a large black stone. In the sunlight, it lit up with all the colors of the rainbow. So he took it home and set it on a shelf and as he did, the next day, the same priest that happened to come and tell Ali Hafed the story of diamonds looked upon that stone, happened to spot it and said, that's a diamond. The man said, no, no, that's not a diamond, sir. It's black. It's, it's just carbon. It's just a pretty stone. I just have it on the shelf. He said, I'm telling you, it's a diamond. Take me to where you found it. They went to the stream. Inadvertently, that man that bought Holly Hafed's farm had discovered the world famous Golconda Sultanate, the most magnificent diamond mine in world history. Out of that mine, 
And it's, it was, it's a real place in Hyderabad area of India. And in that place, out of that has come the Hope Diamond. The Hope Diamond is that beautiful blue diamond that the crown jewels, the heads of governments and royalty have worn the Hope Diamond that came out of the Golconda Sultanate. 45.5 carats. That's not just diamonds around. That's a blue diamond. Very, very rare. Out of that same mine came the Dresden Green Diamond, another, a 41 carat diamond that's now in Dresden, Germany. And then, watch this, the clear Jacob Diamond. 184 and a half carats. The size of your fist. It's the fifth largest polished diamond in the world came out of the same mine. My friends, Ali Hafed left his family and left his land to search the world for what he already had. Russell Conwell wrote a book, shared this as a sermon talk in testimonies about the blessing of the Lord and the power of Jesus in your life from the late 1800s all the way into the early part of the 20th century. He shared that talk. He's in the Ripley's Believe It or Not because he shared that same talk 6,152 times all over the world because people needed to hear it 100 years ago. And he wrote a book that sold all over the world that out of that book he endowed a church, a local church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania called Bible Temple that started a university, still going today, Temple University, was endowed because of this story. What one man saw as worthless, another man saw as what the book was called, Acres of Diamonds. If you wanna read a little bit more about it, there's a great um, like four or five day devotional by Jensen Franklin called Acres of Diamonds on version. It's a, it's a great thought and it really sparked this thing in me. My friends, life is about <clears throat> adjusting your perspective, fixing your eyes on Jesus and not being pulled to the left or right no matter what the gates of hell or the pressures of darkness are trying to pull you into. Too many Christ followers have missed out on the treasures already given through Jesus, the presence of God himself, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, the kingdom of God that is within you. Too many believers are missing that right now because we're looking at all the troubles of the world that we can't solve by ourselves anyway. Instead of praying and then entrusting to God, we get anxious, we get pulled, we get vexed, we get obsessed with what we don't have. Jensen Franklin says there are three things that turn carbon into diamonds. Time, extreme pressure, and intense heat. Time, extreme pressure, and intensity. Let me ask you a question. Are you feeling the pressure lately? 
Anybody feeling extreme heat? Is your breakthrough taking too long? What's happening when you don't seem to be getting answers? I'm telling you, God is forming diamonds in your life. He's working deep. Isn't it interesting that what the world talks about is millions of years, and we know from the Bible we have about six or 7,000 years of human history. We don't know how long the earth, how long it was in Genesis 1. I'm not, you know, it could have been millions of years or whatever else, but here's the point. Whatever had to happen to put oil, to put gas in your car, happened a long time ago. God formed dinosaurs that died that became fossilized and whatever else and put oil into the earth. All of the jewels and valuables and gold and silver and natural resources that will ever be in the earth are already there. God placed them for you to find them. And it's the same in the spirit. But nobody's gonna discover anything they're not willing to dig for. They're not willing to dig out of riverbeds and dust and dirt. I wanna give you five elements of spiritual strength and toughness today. And they all begin with the letter S, the letter S. Number one, number one. And this may be the hardest one. This is one of the hardest ones for me. This is hard. The first letter S for the things that are gonna grow strength and toughness in your life. Number one, here's it, it's profound. Listen, stay. Stay. The Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still first, then see his salvation. Some people can't be still for anything. Be still and know that he's God. Be still and know. Stand still and see. Be still and know that he's God. The word stay means remain. Stick. Adhere like a good stick and band-aid. An adhesive strip. Stick. Stick around. There are moments where you have to push past the temptation to quit. We've always taught and tried to live out. Never make a life decision when you're under pressure. Never make a significant shift when you're under pressure. In your marriage, stay. In your family, stay. In your house, stay until God releases you. In relationships, in your church, whatever it is, stay. Everybody say, just say stay. 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 Stick around through the tough times. Fight or flight. Some people have an itch to run first. The moment things get hot, the moment things get pressured, the moment they feel it, the moment they... They bolt, they, 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 they uh, I'm out. Some people's first response to anything hard is done. In Genesis 26, and that's gonna be 
part of our story today, our text in Genesis 26 is a story of Isaac. And the Bible says there was a famine in the land, a famine in the world, a famine. A famine means no food. Can I tell you something? If you got no food for your family, hungry people do crazy things. Are you hearing me? Hungry people do things they would never do in other times. Genesis 26, there was a famine in the land. Time, pressure, and heat. And the Bible says that Isaac, the son of Abraham, prepared to do what his daddy did when he got under pressure in his generation, and that was run to Egypt. He prepared to leave the promised land and run to Egypt. And as he prepared to bolt, to leave, the Spirit of God dealt with him. Can I tell you, God, opportunities are always best in the center of God's will. I'd rather be, I'd rather be where God is in a war zone than standing at Disney World without God. I'd rather be, and, I, and, I've, and, and, and this is something, the team, people that have been around a long time, they'll tell you, that's, that's how I've lived my life. I've been to some hard places at some times when people said, why are you going there? That's in conflict. That they're, 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 they're having a war there. They're having a famine there. They're having a problem there. It's illegal to be a Christian there. But when God said go, we've always gone. When God says stay, we've always stayed. In Genesis 26, verse two, after it says there's a famine in the land, it said, then the Lord appeared to Isaac. It's pretty strong. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, do not go down to Egypt. Egypt in scripture, remember, always represents the ways of the world, the ways of carnality, the ways of the natural instead of the supernatural. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Don't go back to the world's ways, worldly ways. Live in the land of which I shall tell you, which was called Gerar. Gerar was a Philistine city that God had promised the the seed of Abraham. And so Isaac had a choice. Do I stand here and obey God and start possessing land in the middle of a famine when there's nothing growing, when there's nothing happening? How am I gonna do this? But God said, stay in the land. Now, this is the cool thing. Never, never saw this before. Gerar in Hebrew means sojourn. Now, we all know what a journey is. Do you know what a sojourn is? It literally means stay. <laughs> God said, I want you to stay in a place I prepared for you. And by the way, it's called stay. I want you to stay at stay. Quit running to the ways of the world. Quit your self-destructive habits. Quit the patterns of quitting. Just having done all, the New Testament says, stand, stay. I've been very open about this over the years, but I had a real pattern of quitting as a kid. I was an only child till I was eight. And I had become a little bit selfish as an only child. Then my sister came along and I learned other things about sharing 
and if anything got too hard, so, so I took piano lessons from the age of about six or seven until my friends started teasing me about taking piano lessons and not playing sports. So you know what I did? I showed my friends and I quit taking piano lessons and I went and played baseball. And the baseball, the, my, my minor league year my, when I was 11, we went 18 and 0. I, I played baseball for the world famous Bob McKee used cars in Lake Mary, Florida. And we went 18 and 0. Now, I wasn't the best player on the team. You can tell because I was the right fielder. But I played and I did okay. But we went 18 and 0. It was awesome. I still have the trophy in my attic. Still means something to me. That and my, I also have one other trophy. Ping pong champion of the Presbyterian Youth Group. Still have it in my attic. Save those trophies. Worked hard to get them. Here's the problem. The next season, we lost the first couple of games. Wait a minute. We were undefeated. We knew the thrill of victory. We just didn't like the agony of defeat. Those of you over a certain age, you know what that is. And so I showed them I quit baseball because it's no fun if you don't win all the time. The only way I could quit piano was I had to take up another instrument, so I took up trombone and I was really good at it. I moved up in sixth grade from beginning band to intermediate band, which was the seventh graders, to advanced band, which was the eighth graders. And by the end of my sixth grade year, I was first chair, eighth grade band in sixth grade. By my eighth grade year, I was first chair all county band for Seminole County Schools. First chair. I had, I could have gone on, I could have been something. The glory days of life. But you know what happened in ninth grade? We were bussed in integration to a school where the band director was 100 years old. Not really. But they just kind of let him be there. Talk about, you know the phrase grandfathered in? He was literally grandfathered in. And just biding his time. And he, he didn't want to be there and we didn't want to be there. And I had a bad experience. It was hard in ninth grade band. And my friends were starting to tease me anyway, so I started playing bass guitar. And I quit trombone. You see where I'm going with this? Isn't it interesting that what God had to work out of me, I think it's ironic that we've been pastoring here in the same church for 30 years. Because I was a professional quitter. That was my pattern. I had my first job at McDonald's in 77. I was 16 years old. A few months later, the guy that hired me at McDonald's moved over to be a manager at Sambo's, which was like a Denny's. And he wanted me over there. So I quit McDonald's and I went to Sambo's. And then when that got hard, because I was working all night, Friday and Saturday night, I was the graveyard shift, short order breakfast cook. And I was good at it. Asked my wife. I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. 
But it got hard. So I quit and went to work for Jordan Marsh. What became Burdines, what became Macy's. And I cleaned toilets for years. Till that got hard. It took relationship with Jesus to teach me to stay. To stay with my wife. To stay faithful. To not bounce around from job to job, from church to church, from life to life, from tree to tree, from hope to hope. Instead, God called me to go from glory to glory and grace to grace. I've decided something, and you may not like it. I've decided to make the best of 2020. I've decided to quit grumbling and complaining and saying how I wish this year was over, because I've heard it like you have, and I've felt it like you have, but it didn't make my year any better. Everything, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. That means God has a purpose for this year, no matter what's going on in the world. And I have determined to get everything out of it. I've determined to get some diamonds this year from God of what he wants to do. I've determined to quit waiting till 2021 and waiting to flip the calendar to live my life. That's why I finally went and almost knocked the table down. That's why I finally went on vacation. Because staying here wasn't helping my mental health. I was just going down in the pit. I'm not waiting on a vaccine to live my life. I'm not, I'm not waiting for the year to change to live my life for God and make a difference to others. I can do it right now if I just stay. Just stay. Everybody say stay. Quick story and I've got to move on. I've got two minutes for the other four points. <laughs> Some of you may remember this story, but I, I, I spotted this bottle on my table recently. Can you put that picture up there? Of the, this, this is the, you have the Tabasco picture? There we go. So this was on my table. I took this picture. I could have been a photographer. I could have been somebody. No, 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 no. No. Anyway. So it always kind of, I'm a curious person. This says McElhenney Company, Avery Island, Louisiana, Tabasco brand, established 1868 pepper sauce. That's what it says. Now you don't, when you think of the, when you think of Tabasco sauce family company names, you should, it, you know, Speedy Gonzalez comes to mind. Or something Mexican, something McElhenney, it's Scottish. But here's the story. Edmund McElhenney in the 1840s decided to strike out on his fortune from the northeast of America. He had immigrated from Scotland or something and he decided to move to Louisiana and became a banker and started to build his fortune, his family fortune, his wealth. And when he did, um, he sat on this Avery Island in Louisiana and his, though he was a banker, he was also 
uh, a foodie. He was really into foods. He, was, he wanted to farm land and, and do some stuff with his life. So he started doing these things. And his prized possession was somebody from Mexico brought him seeds of hot peppers and said they would be really good. So he planted these hot peppers on this island. And then you know what happened in 1860? The Civil War broke out. So he had all kinds of plants, all kinds of crops. And 1860, Civil War broke out and the North invaded Louisiana and pushed them out. And all the people on Avery Island moved and fled to Texas until after the war. By 1864, the war was over and they returned to Avery Island, Louisiana to find devastation. People had burned down the plantation. They had hurt the people. They, they had destroyed everything that stayed And as they were walking around the island, walking around this farm, Edmund McElhenney smelled something. In the midst of death, he smelled peppers. And as he cleared out all this other brush, he found that his pepper plants had not only survived, but they thrived when everything else was dead and burned and scorched. So all the other people left Avery Island and moved away. They said, we can't possibly stay here. This is too hard. We can't live. There's nothing going to happen. Edmund McElhenney said, I'll stay. Pretty soon, he started making his Tabasco sauce for friends and family. And then there was such a demand in Louisiana and the cooks in New Orleans that he had to start bottling it and selling it. Today, it's still a privately owned company. Fifth generation, still McElhenney's. 750,000 bottles of Tabasco sauce. Oh, it disappeared. 750,000 bottles of Tabasco sauce they produce every day. Ship it to 160 countries in the world and have 20 to 25% of the market share in a privately owned family company. Edmund McElhenney affected generations and lots of people who like spicy things for five generations because he did one thing that nobody else would do. He stayed. Number two, and then I'm done. No, I can't be, I gotta, I gotta finish. Number two, Submit your heart to God. When I say submit your heart, I mean surrender. Say you're sorry. Repent. When you got stuff going on, repent. Submit your heart to God. Submit your heart. Submit your will. In the moments when your will is vexed, instead of trying to solve everything else, pray about everything and surrender it to God. As with Abraham, God starts speaking to Isaac in Genesis 26 and says, dwell in this land and I'll bless you and I'll make covenant with you just like I did with your dad. Dwell in the land, I'll be with you. And he starts telling them. My friends, covenant is everything. Covenant is everything. Covenant is more than a promise. We'll talk about that this month as well. Covenant is more than scout's honor, I promise. And have your fingers crossed. When God makes a promise, it's not revocable. Are you hearing me? Submit your heart, trust in him. Take God at his word. 
trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Genesis 26, 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He stayed and stay. Number three, stand your ground. Stand your ground is different than staying because stand your ground is about claiming your covenant promise. Speak the word. Unsurprisingly, Isaac thrived while the rest of the world was in famine. Why? Because he obeyed God. He stayed and he sowed where God told him to sow. He farmed where God told him to farm. Envy caused the Philistines, the Bible says, to disrupt his flow. And right when he started doing well, the enemy came and stopped up the wells so he would have no water. So Isaac simply worked around the problems, took his flocks to the valley and started redigging his father Abraham's old wells from the same land. He staked his claim. He, put his, he, he, he planted his flag. And I want to tell you, you're going to have to plant your flag if you're, going to, if you're going to live in victory for the rest of this year. You're going to have to plant your flag. Jehovah Nisi, our victory banner, one of the covenant names of God. I plant my flag in the gospel. I plant my flag in the covenant of God. The Bible says that David, why he wasn't afraid of Goliath is because he said, this guy has no covenant. I have a covenant. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like the birds, like the, like the, like the bear that I killed, like the lion, like all these different battles and all these things that I faced already. This Goliath is going to be down like those because I have a covenant. I have a promise. It is written. When he redug the wells, he got to be quick on this. He did redug these three wells. The first one, he got this battle and they kept stopping it up. He said, he called the first well Esek, which means contention. He said, I can't believe we're in a battle here. He called the second well Sitna, which means hatred. So the, the escalation of the attacks from him prospering and obeying God were massive. A lot of pressure, even more pressure. But then the third well, the Bible says that the Philistines quit attacking. He called it Rehoboth. It means a roomy space, a place of no resistance. My friends, if you'll just stand long enough, the enemy will leave you alone. At some point, if you, it, where you choose to stand and fight and prevail, at contention, which escalates to hatred, at some point, if you just keep going, when the enemy knows that he can't get you to budge, he may back off. He has to back off. By the way, there was a fourth well that they, that they opened up, which was called Sheba, which means oath or covenant. After they got the roomy space, they, they opened up a new well called Covenant. And they got the waters flowing of joy. Number four, S, sing your praise. Everybody say sing. sing. We sang about it earlier about singing. We sing and we sing. Focus on what you already have. Praise means I'm standing in a place and focusing on what I have long enough to say thank you. Long enough to count my blessings instead of focusing on what I don't have. Cultivate a grateful heart, especially in tough times. Be intentional. 
Immediately after they dug the third well, Isaac built an altar to worship God. And the fourth well after that worship was named covenant. Remember, the root word of worship is worth or to assess the value of something. If you want something to increase in value, you want it to appreciate. If you want it to appreciate, you gotta worship. Expressing appreciation raises actual value. What you say, let me say it this way, be careful what you say about your spouse not just to them, about them. Why? Because what you say or what you are beginning to call them, they are becoming. Lessons for some of the newlyweds or the soon-to-be-weds. I wish I'd known that one early on. It would save me some grief. I learned early on to bless my wife, not just to her face, but behind her back. Because she's becoming what I'm prophesying over her. And if all I do is complain, then I got myself to blame. Prophesy to the anointing within you. Spring up, oh well. Sing your praise. Lift your heart. Finally, number five and last, sow your seed. The Bible says that Isaac obeyed God and in the midst of famine, dust bowl, bad farming conditions, God said, I want you to sow your seed right here. And when you do, I'll bless it. The Bible says Isaac sowed his seed in that land. Everybody say that land. Genesis 26, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land, Gerar, stay, and reaped in the same year. What year? The year of famine. The year when nothing was working. The year when it was all a mess. The year when everybody else was dying and hungry and thirsty in famine. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, that means optimum yield. He, he, reaped, he reaped beyond what he even hoped we could reap. And the Lord blessed him. Can I tell you, friends, we're gonna close this service sowing our seed and not apologizing for it one bit. Because when you sow where God says he placed you, your harvest is guaranteed. That means it's gonna be easy. Isaac's still in a battle digging the wells and keep the water flowing. But God blessed Isaac. Thriving, my friends, is a process. Thriving is a process of perseverance. Thriving is a process of obedience. Thriving is a process of decisions that when the pressure's on for me to bolt, back away, run, be afraid. I'm gonna stand. I wanna say to those of you at home, come on up here, James. I'm gonna speak to you right now. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've gotten in the same patterns of quitting, backing away, 
Fear tries to get you to bolt, tries to get you to run. Can I tell you something? The greatest faith sometimes standing, stay. And so where God says, so where God says, obedience is better than sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, I come against every lie over your life and your life. And we break every evil assignment, everything that's been vexing you. In the name of Jesus, turn off the news. <laughs> Can I just tell you, hardest thing to do. Last 30 days, I've watched the weather and sports and forwarded through the news. Who needs to hear the totals? The totals of people. <laughs> who needs to hear the totals, of, the total number of people who've had a disease that most of them, thankfully, have already gone through and been healed in Jesus' name. But they don't tell you that part. Stay. Focus your soul. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he can fix what's going on and going wrong in your life. In the name of Jesus, it's offering time in the house of God. In the name of Jesus, we're gonna give, we're gonna sow, we're gonna believe God. In the name of Jesus, part of staying is sowing. I know you don't have the envelopes right now, or maybe you got them on the way in. Most of you give electronically like I do. But I'm telling you, folks, we are coming through this season. We're fighting through it, but we're coming through it. This should be back to school Sunday, I think, but it's not. At the end of this thing, the scoreboard is going to read, God won, virus zero. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes on the scoreboard. Because our God can't fail. He can't lose. Just toughen up, buttercup. Just toughen up. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the sowers. Thank you for the stayers. Thank you for the standers. Thank you for the ones who are obedient to praise you, to shout your word, to speak your word, to sing their praise. Thank you, Father. In the midst of this life, we can stand in the midst of adversity and celebrate that our God never fails. He never fails. And Father, it's you that we trust. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.